From Immersive Labs, this is Cyber Humanity. Hello again, I'm your host, Chris Pay. Cyber Humanity is the podcast taking cybersecurity personally, trying to get inside the heads of hackers, as well as putting our feet in the shoes of defenders. These podcasts essentially come in two flavours, either us ranting about themes close to the hearts of security types, or us chatting about threat and cybersecurity stuff from recent weeks. And this episode is another one of those. I'm joined by my three infosec super spreaders, Paul Bentham, <laughs> Max Vetter, and Kev Breen, but mainly Max Vetter. Hello. <laughs> I'm good. How's the, how's the case of the... How's, what's that thing that's going around that you caught? Yeah, yeah, COVID. And, oh, uh... <laughs> I haven't heard about that. Tell me all about it. Is this something new? Is it novel? <laughs> gave, gave it to five five other people as well. My my R number was five. You're pretty proud of that. That's the second time I've heard you tell me this. Very guilty. I was very guilty about that. Um, but yeah, it's clever, clever little bugger. <laughs> I'm better, thank you. I wasn't feeling great for the whole ten days. I did pretty, feel pretty rough. I can probably still. I'm a bit. I'm a bit croaky right now. I'm glad you're better. Don't care about all the rest of the stay, stuff. Stay home, everyone. Stay safe. Stay don't home. see don't see Max. Don't come anywhere near me. <laughs> well, anyway, talking of viruses, <laughs> um, let's do some cybersecurity stuff. So last time we were all together, Max wasn't here, but last time we were all together, we were talking about uh, SolarWinds and Sunburst, and it was massive, and it was consuming the InfoSec community. Um, and, and after, I think that was about three weeks ago, and it still is. Um, we are still talking about solar winds and sunburst, um, and a, a few things have uh, gone on uh, since we originally had talked about it uh, a few weeks ago. So one of those things is that the Department of Justice, who we alluded to in the podcast while we were talking, um, have admitted that they were breached, hacked, um, uh, and 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 that uh, email inboxes were uh, were accessed. What happened there, and how bad is this? I mean, it's I mean, it's on your favourite website, uh, the uh, the update. Oh yes, the dreadful Justice <laughs> the Department. Justice Department website. So you're going to have to I zoom can't. in to I like three hundred. I've refused to read it. I'm on the Ars Technica <laughs> article because this is just oh oh, it's the, remembered the, my the zoom. Five, the five different fonts. Oh, I, yeah, I think yeah. no, I think the Department of Justice may have reduced the amount of fonts that they use. There's only four instead of the usual eight. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it's, I mean, it's a very sparse. It's them coming out and saying, yeah, solar winds happened and yeah, we were there and we got caught up in it. And they said that their Office 365 mailboxes have been accessed as part of this compromise and about 3% of mailboxes, which doesn't sound a lot until you factor in there are 113,000 employees. Wow. Uh, Not which... only that, Kev, <laughs> of course, the reason that we know about this website is because the US Department of Justice have been involved in collecting evidence and producing indictments for nation-state <laughs> cyber actors in other oh, countries. God. So what about if one of those three, even one or two or ten of those 3% <laughs> of email inboxes have happen to be for some agent working to uncover who are cozy bear or who are you know the next threat actor they're going to pick on yeah so they do turn around and say that no confidential information uh was compromised as part of this so uh, i imagine really? they've got tiered email really? uh, and, and, how, and how can they know that how can they know that already as well again this is why this is pr isn't it because they are telling us what they know for sure and that and it really actually tells us quite a bit more i i don't i mean i this may be rampant speculation kev tell me if i'm wrong but it would seem to me like if they're coming out and saying they're basically coming out and saying as far as we know some of these inboxes have been hacked which is basically like saying as far as we don't know gazillions of other bits of information <laughs> have been accessed yeah they're very specific with what they're saying and they're saying this is this thing is absolutely true so there could be other truths they're just not telling us uh they don't go into what level of compromise like was it just somebody read them 
or has somebody used those to send mm. emails on behalf? Like, there's a whole other level of stuff that you could get into, but it's unlikely that we're going to find out more, I would expect. So, rampant speculation. How do you go from a SolarWinds compromise to an Office 365 compromise? That, like, If I was like sitting there in my kind of CISO bubble, I'd probably think, well, SolarWinds, this is a bit dreadful, but they've got access to my internal network, but I'm on Office 365. I'm a cloud-based platform. Well, how can- I'm safe. Aren't I? Join us on a webinar next week where we will talk oh, about yeah. exactly this uh, and <laughs> exactly pitch, how that yeah. works. Um, <laughs> that is actually not a setup. I had no idea you were doing a <laughs> webinar on this. <laughs> so, I mean, to answer the question here, um, if you're federated, uh, so if you're single sign-on, the SolarWinds compromise, because of its location, what it was, uh, has the potential that I can get the creds for all of your users or the creds for your master Office 365 account. And there, with that level of access. Oh, because you share identity between the cloud and your on-prem solution. That's a genius, genius <laughs> thing. Yeah, so if I'm SSO'd and I can get your SSO password for your local, uh, then that also gives me access to your mailboxes, potentially. I don't know if that's how they're using it, but I'd expect their federated SAML, uh, an organization of that size. And then that's neutering your, any multi-factor you've got set up as well, then, do you think? Uh, no, uh, multi-factor would still play in if I wanted to access those mailboxes. Uh, if I've... If I'm an admin, then I only have to gain access as the admin, which means I only have to compromise one potential 2FA uh, in order to access everything. Well, and then uh, you can disable MFA on a target account, can't you? Or just like assume identity. Um, like there's, that's the way it works. Okay, it's yeah. We do, we don't know exactly how it happens, but there's a lot of routes from and the compromise of Orion to the compromise of three six five. They're also not giving a huge amount of in in insight here into how they actually uncovered that these mailboxes were comparable like for for context listeners um this this uh press release is about like two paragraphs and about 150 words um so there's not a great deal of detail in there anyway um but it doesn't really give us any insight into how they discovered that those uh email inboxes had been accessed how is it likely that they did discover that do we think uh probably one of two ways um either like through something heuristically looking at uh like access so one person accessing lots of mailboxes from a single ip address or from a single host uh that kind of heuristics if you've got good logging you're going to see that uh or if you identify a specific account that was compromised and you track the activity of that account that could lead you uh to the actions that were taken which would lead you to hey they accessed 3,400 email boxes, which is 3% of 113,000. Good. Thanks for filling us in on the maths there, Kev. Always show you're working, Kev. Always show you you're working. You working. But I do think something you, you've really had a bad breach if you're describing the number of mailboxes compromised as a percentage. As a percentage, you know it's bad. Yeah, 3% yeah. is a really, really small number. It's only three. The other thing that's really funny about that as a percentage is that, of course, if it's 3% and those are the, you know, judges or they're the people who <laughs> gathering evidence or whatever like it it doesn't really matter that it's a percent and and just on my final little mini rant on this what like that they don't think any sensitive information was compromised like what are those three thousand plus people actually emailing each other about in the justice department oh what are you gonna have for lunch deirdre <laughs> <laughs> talking about small percentages though um we had another article that came out that said that um, some 250 networks had been, and I'll quote the headline: um, 250 networks had been hit. That's the, that's the way they that's the way they were describing it. To 200 <laughs> you, naughty network, naughty. 250 networks had been hit by the uh, by the SolarWinds uh, compromise. But of course, one of the challenges there was I re- I'd read the article and we had talked about this on the previous podcast. Um, it actually wasn't very easy to understand what hit actually meant, like hacked, breached, compromised. Um, but there was a bit more detail in here that this that or Kev, you had more detail that basically suggests that these 250 networks were like they were actively compromised. We know that there were approximately 18,000 organizations that installed the infected DLL. And as soon as that happened, you immediately connected back to the attacker. That's just what happens. Um, The attackers were wanting to stay quiet, wanting to stay unobserved. So they were very deliberate, very hands-on, like 
it's a very it's a high touch uh, engagement that they've took uh, there's no way they could do that on 18,000 devices so they were very selective about the targets they picked uh, so they'd look at the initial information that came back and said like are you a target I'm interested in um, and I think to date there's about 250 uh, organizations that have come forward or have been notified or have been observed where that second order uh, has taken place and i think that's what hit means in this instance everybody who installed it was technically hit but uh, i think in reference here it's there's that second order as in they pivoted and they did something else on the inside of your network and to talk about percentages for a second that 250 networks um is 1.38 percent <laughs> of the 18 which is a tight which is you know a tiny a tiny tiny percentage and we had that whole debate at the time about you know that this 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 18,000 kept being bandied around um and it feels like we're getting a little bit more fidelity in terms of really understanding you know actual compromised uh, networks in the context of this as a real threat rather than just as a potential threat yeah i think that number's going to go up i don't see it hitting like more than a thousand i see it staying uh, below that everything we know about this attacker is they were very specific about the information and very they really wanted to stay quiet like the more they hit the more chance they had of being discovered so i think that number is going to stay fairly low the other thing that we also discussed when we were talking about this on the last episode of the podcast was um how the share prices and, and i and i was talking about this in terms of the differences between um the FireEye share price and the solar winds share price we knew that solar winds had taken a, a pretty big hit in terms of um in terms of the the, the company value um and some uh, SolarWinds shareholders are not happy about that, so they're suing SolarWinds um, for <laughs> being. So. I think for being. I don't know what they're suing them for. For being. For being shit. Hacked. I don't know. I, but essentially, the lawsuit alleges that um, the software company had failed to warn shareholders in a timely enough manner that the um, that the that the software itself was vulnerable. I'm not sure what they were supposed to do, like announce to the world, you know, tell all the shareholders first before they told the rest of the market. I don't think that would have gone down very well either. Recklessly disregarded the fact and the false misleading information statements that were being issued concerning the company. Yeah, the suggestion is that the president of SolarWinds and the CFO of SolarWinds violated the law because they misrepresented represented and failed to disclose um critical facts which are which is difficult to argue is true because we had we saw the sec filing that um that basically disclosed that there that, that, that there was this that there was this problem this is quite funny the the legal challenge is point pointing out that when the world learned of the backdooring it led to a precipitous i'll quote now a precipitous decline in the market value of the company's security which led to significant losses and damages I actually thought that that's what trading on the stock market was. <laughs> I thought as a shareholder in a company, one of the things that you accepted was if that company was less able to perform, transact its business, that, you know, you might suffer, you might actually make less than you put in. Sometimes that does happen. I wonder if these are the same shareholders that dumped their stock uh, three days before it came out. This is potentially an angle that this lawsuit will look to, to take advantage of because, of course, it does seem that there are those who were aware of this before it was public knowledge who got rid of stock before it was publicly announced. So that's the proof they're using. All joking aside, that is, that is potentially the angle, um, the angle that will be uh, that will be used here. But um, of course, the. Uh, the point that I wanted to make in comparison is that FireEye, um, their share price is now flying high because everyone's talking about cybersecurity because of SolarWinds. So ironically, FireEye, who got hacked because of the SolarWinds breach, because SolarWinds and cybersecurity were in the news, the value of cybersecurity stocks as a whole is up and FireEye is now worth more. I mean, I mean, I, just, I don't understand the stock market. I give up. Oh, and in now a bizarre, this is this where it feels like now it's one of those stories that's got a life of its own. And there's all these kind of bizarre tangential stories. One of them being this this um, company, is it JetBrain? Are they called JetBrain or JetBrains? What's going on here? 
JetBrain, uh, according to the tweet that I saw, it's an obscure software company. Uh, that obscure software company has 10 million downloads of at least one of its 26 pieces of software. It's not obscure at all. JetBrains, uh, they provide uh, open source, free, and commercial products uh, that are it's used by... It's an IDE, by, isn't it? Uh, isn't- so they have a couple of IDEs. They have, uh, they've got a, a full suite that's used by developers all over the world. Parts yeah, of that are I IDEs. I used to use this. Parts of that are... Um, build servers they have cicd they have security like there's an entire gambit of stuff um it's used by millions of developers all over the world both free and commercially it's a huge piece of software oh it's a huge collection of software that's used uh, massively um the art- they also use just so you know they use for their cookie consent pop-up they use terminal which makes me fall in love with them a little bit. So well done, the Rus- the obscure Russian company based in the Czech Republic. This clickbaity article, when you first get into it, makes a suggestion that the company JetBrain, which was founded uh, by some Russians, uh, was somehow involved uh, in the entire SolarWinds exploit. Of course it was. They're Russian. Every Russian person's hacking an American person. And there's an entire paragraph on how it's Russian backgrounded and the Ukraine and all that kind of stuff. Um, the actual investigation is saying that we know SolarWinds was compromised via its build server. Their build server is the one provided by JetBrain. So, shockingly, we knew it was a build server. All that's changed is we know the name of that build server. But that's not quite sexy enough. Well, that is quite interesting. This article can be reduced to one sentence. JetBrains is part of SolarWinds supply chain. That is it. That is what we know about... Oh, sorry, the important part. And they are founded by Russians and operated <laughs> in the Czech Republic. But this is really interesting. So we know now, we now know that JetBrains was a CICD pipeline application that was compromised in the SolarWinds attack. Yes. But do we know that? Like, have they, admit, have they, have they have said that, have they, themselves? Well, so SolarWinds are list. SolarWinds have said that they use this, and they've said that it was their build server that's compromised. So I don't think they've come out and said this was the actual build server that's compromised. Um, it's incredibly like, people are starting to draw a line that doesn't exist and saying, "Well, the Russians compromised the CIC, the build server, which is then up." So it's a they compromised SolarWinds by compromising their supply chain. No. Like, the build server wasn't compromised upstream and then installed like SolarWinds was. Uh, so SolarWinds, team, uh, this, this was just the thing that was there that was compromised. Through weak password or through some other access, they gained access to it inside the SolarWinds estate. That's all That's all there is to it. But Well, that is interesting. So how did they get into the... Well, how did they get in? Do you just think you're speculating, rampantly speculating it's a compromise? Rampantly spe- speculating uh, that it was just compromised inside their estate rather than something surreptitious uh was done to it and then delivered to them it'd be super meta if this supply chain compromise was in and of itself a supply chain compromise uh, a supply uh, yeah (laughs) enabled by a supply chain and that's how the article reads like when you first Mm. read it the article also you know it it teeters towards in the way that it describes JetBrains as a company it teeters towards accusation. It doesn't do it, <laughs> but it's te- it definitely teeters towards yeah. it. Well, this is like Dominion. Um, it's like those the baddies in Canada and um, Venezuela that were built the Dominion voting systems, isn't it? Like same same principle. <clears throat> yeah, it wasn't yeah. Built Some in. kind of dodgy supply chain. But what, what I want to d- dig into that a little bit more because I think uh, Kev's point is right here. It's the difference between a company a legitimate company used by 300,000 businesses owned and run by Russian people in the Czech Republic. And the idea that we can just, we can extrapolate or make a, a build a bridge there between those Russian people and the Russians. And those two things are totally different. Like Russia as a nation state actor, a government agency acting on behalf of its government in order to do something, um, uh, you know, malicious uh, to other organisations is a totally different thing to some Russian entrepreneurs setting up a company that they run. Those things are totally different. But the problem is, and I think this is actually, you know, the widespread coverage of this story, I suppose, does risk creating that kind of 
like the Russians, as in all the Russians, all the Russian people are, you know, are against us, which is not necessarily true. And and drawing those kinds of barriers and boundaries in cyberspace, I think, is just as risky as drawing those kinds of boundaries and barriers in the real world. Uh, when this all came out, and I still believe it, like FireEye have not attributed this. They're still going uh, using their unks rather than saying it was uh, Russian. Um, a joint uh, statement from Caesar, FBI, NSA came out, and in that advisory, they've said Russians. Um, so they've actually done that attribution now um, at that level, whereas FireEye is still saying, "Yeah, we're not saying it." I suppose FireEye have a a level of professional integrity to maintain as an organization that provides intelligence services they can't just throw an attribution out there on the basis of what they think might or might not be might or might not be true and i suppose that's potentially why they're being why they're being a little more cautious or they have told um those government organizations that it's russia but they're not prepared to say that in the wider in the context of the wider world which is interesting in and of itself yeah and as we wrap up this bit, we should just briefly talk about um, the introduction of new naming conventions <laughs> when we'd all just got used to Sunburst. Oh, I, I, I love this. Uh, did I miss something? Did I, I miss Kev, something? Did I miss something? The whole industry was talking about hashtag Sunburst for the almost the whole of the second half of December. And then suddenly, just after Christmas, we other other vendors have decided to start calling it something else. I mean, what the hell's gone on? I can't... What Was it Palo Alto? They released the report? Palo Alto just came out of a... Like, oh, oh yeah, that, that thing that happened. Yeah, we've pu- we published some research about that, and we decided to call it something totally different. <laughs> it was so I insane. Just, I just don't understand. They've got to put their angle understand. on it. How else, how else can you track if people are coming to you from uh, your name or through something else? Yeah, it makes no sense to me. Oh, Solar Storm, by the way. Solar that's Storm. what they, that's what they decided yeah. to call it, Solar Storm. Um, I, I, it makes no sense to me how the, the the InfoSec community gets its knickers in a knot about almost everything. But this just... No, it's, <laughs> oh, yeah, okay, we're going to call it that now. No problem. Yeah, I'll just make a, I'll just make a note so that when anyone says to me, um, Solar Storm, I know that they're talking about Sunburst, when we could all just say Sunburst. Solar Storm is the name we assigned to the recent campaign of attacks connected to a suspected nation-state actor behind the SolarWinds Sunburst malware. The name is the campaign. The campaign is called Sunburst, and the malware is... Oh, I hate it. Yeah, it's just like... It ha- <laughs> it's no wonder it's so fucking hard to attribute anything when we can't even decide how to categorise the difference between a threat actor a campaign, a compromise, malicious code, malicious actions that we don't, we are missing so much definition of stuff in our industry at the most basic level. And we just let it go. We just seem to let it go by us. Okay, pivoting to privacy. Um, In 2014, Facebook bought a plucky little messaging app called whatsapp i've never really been able to understand why it's called whatsapp is it meant to be like what's up but it's an app it's a funny story my old boss used to call it what's up like but like and it really used to irritate me because it's it's not it's not called whatsapp it's called whatsapp whatsapp exactly anyway um and all of us said at the time all of us in the game said at the time well this is the thin end of the wedge (laughs) before you know it facebook will be reading all of our messages surely um and nothing really happened um but a couple of days ago um we learned that whatsapp will shortly start to share data with facebook as part of a condition of use of the app and this is definitely I'm not sure it's a full U-turn because, Kev, I'm going to ask you to explain what data it is that actually is likely to be shared. Um, But it is certainly something of a U-turn because Facebook have been saying for a very, very long time, um, reassuring users that there there would never be any sharing of data. And obviously adding things like end-to-end encryption, you know, were designed to increase that confidence uh, in WhatsApp as a secure messaging app. So what is it that they are actually proposing to access data in whatsapp 
for. It's really hard trying to read through and figure out exactly what's happening because like, there's some contradictory stuff in there, and I'll, I'll get to that in a second. But at the core, what they're saying is um, if you're WhatsApping a business and that business is operating with a facebook business then that data is going to be shared into facebook so that business can access it from facebook side um as part of that obviously now some of that data is going to be stored on facebook servers so uh if they don't see the message or the messages uh, can't be delivered there's stuff around there that determines uh when and and how it's going to be saved which is weird because it's all it should all be end-to-end encrypted which means that you shouldn't be able to see it. And one of the things they turn around and say is that one of the examples they give of sharing data is if a lot of people are sharing a picture or a video that's going viral, uh, then for efficiency purposes, they will store that on their servers, which again seems to break the end-to-end encryption model. You know what's really interesting about that? They, have you noticed that you tell you, maybe you don't, guys don't get subjected to this, but I get my, my mum forwards me on stuff, and it's like, this image has been forwarded many times. <laughs> I've been reading through this stuff, and I, I agree with Kev, it's very um, obtuse. It doesn't exactly tell you what, what they're doing yet. But they do... Um, they've been talking about kind of traffic analysis so because well for our for our listeners end-to-end encryption means there's a key between your person if i'm if i'm texting kev he has one key on his device i have the other key and therefore uh, whatsapp never have it so they technically can't even see the messages but what they seem to have been doing i i know already like they've they've been starting to market things because if you accidentally type um maxbetter.co.uk or wordpress.com maxrbetter.wordpress.com um, yeah it, it will it will it, it will embed that link and then but it'll also uh, it'll kind of register things like that um so they've been doing uh, they've started to put kind of addy type type things and and this is on the background of when they first got bought in whenever 2014 was it um they did they released a, a statement saying they would never ever do anything of uh, with you know ads or looking at the content and and you know the whole point about whatsapp at the time was that it was end-to-end encrypted so you couldn't ever look at the data and, and that was why whatsapp got got you know did so well anyway but it does seem that the, their statement they've said is um we can improve services and your experiences by using the data such as personalized features content helping you complete purchases and transactions and showing relevant offers and ads across facebook company products which you can't they either they either just going to randomly send you ads for nothing that is relevant, which isn't doesn't sound like Facebook at all. Or do they connect your identity? Do they connect your identity between Facebook and WhatsApp? Uh, yeah, uh, because your phone number. Yeah, yes. However, so so that's what they can. There's do. There's a really yeah. important line here. The new privacy policy does not apply in Europe. Ah, uh, no, I've I saw that, but it doesn't. No, no, it doesn't apply in the EU. In the EU, we're not in the that's, EU. That's the interesting thing. Right. We're following. Uh, yeah, we're following GDPR. Yeah, though, no, because they've moved us. Yeah, they've break, moved break us it. from the EU data center. To, that's what a lot of uh, US companies have done. They've for users in the UK, they've moved them to US legislation, like. <clears throat> out of the EU one, but I do, I do want. I think it's important for us to all take take a step back here, like privacy, privacy, privacy. Like we're all sending thousands of WhatsApp messages a week. Like, how much did it cost you? Like back in the day, <laughs> back, back in the day, all free. You used to have to the pay. Service. If you're not paying, you are the service. You're the product. You're so the product. product. Yeah. It was a one pound, wasn't yeah. it? One, one pound it a year. It used to be one and, pound and a year. Thank kept, you. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> one pound a year. Back in the day, you used to have to pay for WhatsApp. Facebook balked it. I'm like, well, what did we expect? And I think this privacy change is actually probably... I don't know if you noticed this, but... I mean, you're probably not doom scrollers on Instagram like I am, but like, like <laughs> scrolly, scrolly, scrolly. I had to put timers on my phone to stop me scrolling. But the... Uh, in Instagram, if you go and Google when you've been logged into Facebook, 
Google through some stuff, you will see oh, adverts yeah. in your Instagram feed yeah. based on mm. that. So I fully expect to start to see WhatsApp not reading your messages because that would be a breach of their end-to-end encryption um, standards, but actually saying Linking you were just Facebook, like googling so. for like presents for my mum at Christmas so I'm going to start to inject just like they do with your Instagram feed inject like relevant ads and frankly it actually works really nicely I bought quite a lot of Christmas presents from adverts in my Instagram feed which might sound lazy or might sound absolutely niche but it does work oh, you're yeah. you're the person that it works to I always think I always think, I'm not on my own I'm not on my own Max how, how do they make any money of this it's I Paul, always think oh, I'm being I'm I look at it and think I'm being retargeted I'm definitely not on that. <laughs> yeah but that's because you're stubborn yeah, exactly, but if yeah. actually you embrace you embrace it people you, I embrace Paul, being yeah. used <laughs> embrace being used no but I, I accept that they have tailored that product that harry's shave product that cell that celtic fairy tree that what else did i buy like stuff that just really just like oh my god how do they know that i'd want this thing well because they know your whole google history and of course you <laughs> wanted a they fairy think I want, tree I buy like welders and stuff because I, I watched the some of those videos i don't want to buy a welder but the videos are quite satisfying to watch people like melt melt metal <laughs> oh yeah no I, that's like my tiktok feed my tiktok feed is just full of men painting lines on the road I don't know what yeah, happened. Yeah, it's really, I've it's really good. I watched one of it? those <laughs> once, and now that's all I get. But it is interesting to think, like the so there's there's comparisons between different different data, and and they do WhatsApp does link data for purchases, location, contact info, user content, identifiers, and usage data. So it doesn't it doesn't link the content, but it it links all the it, rest. You just said user content. No, you, you literally just said user content. It does say that here, actually. and it says here. Uh, by coordinating more with Facebook, we'll be able to do things like track basic metrics about how often people use our service and better fight spam. You can only fight spam if you know what the message is. I don't understand what your beef is with this, though. Like, we're all like, yay, Google, you know everything about me. Cool, here you go, Google. I've still got, we- I've still got WhatsApp. Yeah, I'm right. Not but it. I don't know what... Is it because it's the... Pr- is it the principle that they said, we're end-to-end encryption, we will never do this, and then they've gone back on themselves? Yeah, because they made it... Because they made such a big deal out of... Out of, ne- out of never, um, you know, interfering with people's data on their app. Of course and- they did. They just got bought for quazillions of dollars. They were like, well, we're the founders. You'll never take this away from me. And now they've gone, they, you know, quietly stepped away, sold their Facebook shares, got, got squillions of dollars sitting on their yacht. They're like, give a shit. The one thing that people are complaining the most about is that they've removed the opt-out button. There used to be an opt-out button. Now they've removed yeah, it. That's the of course they've removed it. Everybody are. clicks the sodding opt-out button, don't they? <laughs> Can't we just all go to Signal? Isn't, isn't it basically identical anyway? Your mum's not going to do that, is she, though? And then where, who would forward on random videos? I do. I do I, I'll bring the whole cybersecurity side of, of it in about, end, oh, you know, man. the fact <laughs> you're using an end-to-end, in, you're, you're using an end-to-end encrypted product. Like... I, we know that, say, uh, intelligence agencies might use WhatsApp knowing that it has end-to-end encryption. Uh, maybe bad guys do right now, and, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it, it's quite a change. If if everyone trusts this product for not to having end-to-end encryption, and they don't seem to be saying they're taking it off, there's something weird's going on. So, And it's quite important, you know, that, that they're linking. I mean, we had this in the police where if you're creating covert accounts... And people will put WhatsApp on their covert accounts. But I mean, WhatsApp and Facebook was very good at identifying the real cop and the fake cop, which is terrible if they're in a uh, an undercover situation because they, they could end up getting killed. So, you know, this data that's out there, uh, who knows how what, what the ramifications are. That's why I'm getting serious about it because, you know, people people use this stuff for, for pretty um, serious means sometimes. Not all just It's not all just videos from your mum, Paul. I don't think I need more WhatsApp friends. <laughs> <laughs> just need more friends generally, Paul, if we're honest. <laughs> <laughs> just, we just end it there. Yeah, that's where we yeah. end it. <laughs> And on that bombshell. Right, what's next? Uh, hackers the Popo. Could, or, oh, yeah, the, oh, po- the Popo. Popo. Whoop, whoop. 
in case listeners didn't know, that was the sound of the police. <laughs> <laughs> that is because the National Crime Agency here in the UK have made 21 arrests nationwide in a crackdown on a uh, criminal marketplace. Um, so that seems like quite a lot of people to have been arrested. Um, what's the background here? What was happening on this criminal marketplace and why was it worth these people being arrested? Am I doing that? I well, thought actually, I was, actually I, interesting, I gonna... before, we, before we dive into, before you tell us, what rank were you in the um, in the Pope? Um, just, just a... Just a... Why don't you want to say the word constable? You worried we'll take them in. <laughs> oh, yeah, please, 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 constable. A detective uh, constable? No, no, no. Just, just a regular just a, just, massive just, just a regular, massive constable. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Max. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> yeah, so WeLink Info was a site that hosted 12 billion stolen credentials uh, from 10,000 different data breaches. And, and was taken down uh, in January, actually, by FBI and NCA investigation and everything else. Um, and, yeah, so they they were basically selling lots of uh, stolen credentials on this site, uh, weleakinfo.com. Leak, we the people that were arrested, we're assuming, are people who were users of this particular marketplace. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's the interesting thing, is they've done a few different actions. So they've arrested 21, uh, ages 18 to 38, um, nine detained under the suspicious uh, suspicion of computer misuse, so hacking, essentially, but then mm. nine other for fraud. So they, they clearly, some of them were defrauding uh, this detail, or some of them were using it for hacking the, as well. The 21 were only arrested because they had used stolen credit cards. So they'd purchased the credit cards as a data leak, and then they actively used them. And those are the 21 that were arrested. Ah, gotcha. So they weren't arrested just for purchasing from the website. They purchased from the website and then used that for further harm. And that's where they were arrested. What's interesting is that it doesn't, unless Kev can tell me any different, it doesn't seem to be a dark web website. It's just a surface. Oh, no, it's, it's not just a normal. Web. Oh, look, Max, right well, you're trying to shoot on a dark, dark web reference. We haven't talked about the dark web for weeks. <laughs> what, what I don't get about this is why you wouldn't it be on the dark web. I like, it, it doesn't seem to make sense that you wouldn't put it on the dark web. Well, low is the barrier for, low is the yeah. barrier for entry, doesn't it? Yeah, that's true. I have seen the data that's in Weedly Info. Um, and uh, for the most part... Did, did you pay to get access? Have you been visited yet, Kev? Uh, no, I have not been visited. Uh, so <laughs> have, you got, have you got to do like some sort of cyber awareness course? Like you have to do a speed awareness course? <laughs> <laughs> I, will not, I will not buy credentials. I know several, re- I know several researchers um, who have access. So I've, I've spent a lot of time uh, in the last few years looking at data leaks, looking at where it appears. Uh, like I built Paysunter... Uh, to do exactly this across the public set. Um, and a lot of the data that's in there is already public domain. And a lot of what the WeLink Info stuff done is, is like the kind of the validation of like all of that data that's in there, like how much of it is actually usable. And that's kind of what you're paying for is that collection of stuff. And they do have some stuff that doesn't appear in other places. Um, but yeah, it's like a large majority of the data that's in there was already in the public domain in some way, shape or form. Now, all joking aside, though, about your about your um, your cyber awareness course, like a speed awareness course, a percentage of these people were not arrested, but were visited by cyber prevent yeah, officers of to warn them. Yeah, to warn them, and that, not just kids, because I know what we might think. We might think, oh well, you know, that's what they do because they're under, you know, because they're under eighteen. Um, but these are a group of individuals between age between sixteen and forty who were visited by cyber prevent officers to warn them of their potentially criminal activities, and then sixty of those were served with cease and desist notices. I don't really know what a cease and desist notice constitutes max legally yeah i mean it's, it's essentially a legal notice to say that you've been told basically it tell, tells you off if you do it again they, they might they might take other action i think basically the thing i love about this is uh so a further 69 individuals uh were visited uh many more of these visits are due to take place over the coming months you know whether you've used this site or not and somebody's telling you to read this so there's a lot of people sat there going 
are they going to be coming to my... I've been on that website. Are they coming to my door soon? Like, should I expect them to come visiting? Depends whether you're buying remote access Trojans and cryptos and have, stuff like that. Have they come to visit you? All the access I do where I go and do the research on rats, that's under one of my pseudonyms. That's never <laughs> under my account. So let's dig a little deeper here then. We've done some of the detail there. You know, some arrests, some friendly, let's say friendly visits from a from a constable in so uh, one of the things that the nca <laughs> <laughs> what stop doing cyber stuff in here thank you very much <laughs> <laughs> it's like a like a monty python sketch turn that computer off yeah you turn that computer <laughs> off your man um so imagine you you know one of the things the NCA is very uh, interested in doing as part of this press release that that, that came out um, highlighting these arrests is talking about um, UK policing cyber choices program, which is aiming to prevent young people, you know, kind of falling into cyber crime and finding more positive pathways for them to take, which shameless plug we are involved in and delighted to be involved in. But I think when I think about when I read this article, I thought, oh, that's kind of, I think that's kind of good, the way that they've approached that. They've used their judgment to make a decision about how to handle each of those individuals, probably on a case-by-case basis. And the question I wanted to ask you, Max, is if this operation were happening in the United States of America, for example, like how does this operation look in the US if it wasn't happening? Yeah, I think it's pretty well known that FBI are are very heavy-handed. And you could argue that's a depends on what you think but i know something like um 25% of all hackers in in the in the um us are classed as informants because if you do anything they go around your house and say by the way you've done this you're going to go to jail for life or you let us install something on a computer and you sign up to everything and everything you do now is monitored and and you're going to be a, essentially an informant for us so um they seriously install stuff on your computer. Oh yeah, that's that's part of the agreement you have when you say, "Oh, do you want to go to jail for life, or do you want to do everything we tell you to do?" And, you go, and the, these these kids essentially like, uh, "Yeah, I'll do I'll do everything you tell me." <laughs> that's um, kind of a bit, so, little bit. My belief. So there's yeah. a bit of software cross platform works on your mobile phone, your iPad, your desktop, your Linux desktop, your Mac. Yeah, nice. Who, who wrote that software? Yeah, is it trustworthy? Is there a backdoor in it? <laughs> Is it made by Sailor Winds? That, a terrible, <laughs> I bet it's a terrible logo because it's not. Oh God! I bet it's never been patched. Like, It'll still be <laughs> running like. T- oh, it'd be awful. That there, you can hack the hackers. Somebody do that, yeah. Kev. <laughs> yeah. So and and that d- depending on what you think about that, whether you think that's a great idea or a terrible idea, I think that is. Um, we have a, a especially the cyber cyber uh, choices and the prevent um, plan we have here is, I think a breath of fresh air really from a cyber perspective of dealing with the fact that young people occasionally do something silly online and do you punish them for life for it or do you try and push them down the the, the right route and i think i think we've got that right there i didn't realize there were so many hackers in the, in the u.s yeah they i think they their their policy i don't know if it's changed recently but it was it was pretty um stringent in that any anyone who Rather than us sending the season to this and have a nice, nice cup nice of tea, cup of tea, with access to immersive labs yeah. instead, it's uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's a lot more strict in that, yeah, which probably has helped them in terms of intelligence and and you know the, they've got a lot of uh, people in different forums and everything else, and you've seen that from you know uh, different takedowns that there's always a lot of <laughs> FBI informants around. Someone on the inside, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I think yeah, I think our our policy here is definitely. I don't know specifically about what these sixty nine had done. Like, I might disagree if they they're they're actually doing something uh, pretty bad. But um, I would I would guess it was very very minor um, crimes that they had committed, like accessing the data without actually using it or something like that. Okay, as always, we come to the end of the podcast with hackers could where we, where we where we where wow <laughs> <laughs> that's the most enthusiastic reaction Jeez. to this segment we have ever had <laughs> uh, where we basically uh, ask ourselves uh, having looked at some stories from the news this week hackers could but hackers would or hackers might but honestly hackers probably won't and we're going to start i've got a great one. Oh, i've got a great one yeah 
Is, is it, can I come in? Can yeah, I yeah. come in? Can, 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 Go for it, Paul. I mean, I had one lined up, but as you're so keen. Oh, well. <clears throat> is that too many? It's quite a lot of throat clears, to be honest. One it's of those is probably going to get edited out. <laughs> Hackers could have access secret US blackout emergency plans when they stole laptops from the Capitol building. Oh, I knew that you were going to try and shoehorn in. Yes! Uh, We had a conversation at the beginning, before we started recording, which was, we will not talk about what has happened on Capitol Hill. And That's now all Paul I know about this week. It's all I know. Blatantly, flagrantly, in fact, shoehorned it in <laughs> to a hacker's Definitely code. Definitely a hacker's code. Found a hacker's uh, code. You ought to be ashamed. <laughs> I am ashamed, but I did some research. Go on then. Tell us, what, tell us what's happened. Tell us what's happened. I was watching this in real time, ladies and gentlemen. I spent the whole of my evening watching this. So I, there, I could not have done more research about this. And... In Speaker Pelosi's office, they had run away so quickly they didn't even control or delete enter. That is a break. A very much hackers could have access. They were lucky someone didn't get onto that computer and send an e- and do an email all. <laughs> uh, yeah, reply to all. A whole storm. They could have created a storm in the Senate. I mean, it does. It, it does make. I'm trying to make a real point out of Paul. Hang point. on, I was making um, a real point. That... Hackers could. <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh... <laughs> But that, I mean, like, I think we, we've talk, talked previously about, like, physical security, right? And what does happen, you know, do you fail close, fail open? And there's all there's all that question. What what happens when people try and storm the one building that should never be insecure? And that, I mean, it, like, you're not going to be used to locking a computer, are you? Because there's police officers out there. Outside. Oh, Max, I am not taking that from you. You <laughs> control delete enter your laptop as soon as you get up to I me do, for a week. I do, but I'm, I'm not an old politician working in the capitol building i would say having a lonely constable stood outside your door (laughs) is not is not any kind of reassurance that your laptop wouldn't get hacked or stolen i'm i'm just saying even if he's got even if he's got a gun inside a threat max you know this is the home of edward snowden he's a bad So, so um, let's take a step back because we didn't actually get to who's. So, whose laptop was actually stolen? Is it anyone we care about? Like, does it matter? No, well, like, it's U.S. Senator Jeff Merkley. But the thing is, but but the thing about his laptop, maybe he just really got really annoyed with it. Maybe it was really super slow. Like he wanted a bit of an upgrade. So that when there's been a massive mob go through your office, you're like, oh, I'll just uh, <laughs> top in the bin and I'll get myself a new one. That's what I'd have done. That's like a great excuse. Like this this thing, it's got a scratch on the screen or it's got crumbs in the keyboard. I'll get a new one. <laughs> it's a bit of an extreme measure to uh, organise a riot. No, it's, it's, an, oppo- it's a, an opportunity. It's every opportunity. Yeah, but I don't think there's any hackers could angle to this whatsoever, except for the fact that then there now is a senator's laptop out of, you know, out of control. Yes, but also we would assume that that laptop has hard disk encryption. So, well, by the time- we don't know, he, we don't know what state did it's he pa- in. power it, it, it down? Could've... That's the question. Was it even turned on? Was he doing any work at all? <sighs> Depends. Was he a Republican or a Democrat? <laughs> <laughs> like, there's so there's so much fud in this article, and like, and there's loads of it on Twitter about laptops being stolen and taken. Uh, this wasn't storming the Nagatashi Towers to go and, like, steal Did the laptops. Did you just make a Die Hard reference? Die Hard reference after Christmas. Straight to hell. Uh, <laughs> straight on the naughty uh, list, Kev. Straight on the naughty list. <laughs> That's way... You're way too early. It's only January. <laughs> like, I've, you've seen the photos of them all being told to put emergency gas masks on. It's like the last thing they're going to worry about is locking a, a laptop. But it should be one of the first things they think about, though, shouldn't it, really? In all seriousness, just to be... Just be a bit cyber about it for a minute. You know, you would have thought that in terms of things you should do, um, you know, in a in an area of where sensitive information abounds, you would have thought the one thing that they would be doing is making sure their laptops would shut. No, like you, you, you protect life first. And that's why you have things like MDM policies. So uh, the first thing that happens is you go into lockdown and you go, let's just remote lock every laptop in the Capitol building let's uh like, like that's what mdm's for that's exactly what it's for like you protect life over data i i'm not i'm not taking this really they care like there's a freaking mob coming through my office i can do control alt delete enter or i can shut the lid on my laptop that is that is de- uh, windows l for me 
Oh, I hate my Mac keys, aren't I? I don't even know how to lock this thing. I've got t- I've got one of those fancy pants touch bars, so it's got a lock button on there. I mean, you're absolutely right. It doesn't take much to to do it, but um, right, especially if there's a mob coming through. I'd have probably taken mine with. Yeah, me. but the, if the mob's coming for you and not my laptop, like I'm more concerned about me than my laptop. You need to get your priorities straight, Kevin. Okay, so moving on from flagrantly shoehorning capital <laughs> stuff into the mission accomplished very, boys very disappointing very disappointing let us uh now talk about capture kev is very very excited about this I let love us this. talk about I love capture. This one. i'm only excited about um doing the acronym because i always love doing the acronym so if anyone who isn't aware and goodness you all should be aware um the acronym CAPTCHA is Completely Automated Public Turing Test to Tell Computers and Humans Apart. That is what CAPTCHA is. And somebody has been busy, some researcher has been busy hacking it. So is this a thing that hackers could actually use, Kev? Or is it just a bit fun? So uh, CAPTCHA used anywhere you want to make sure the person is doing anything, like signing up, uh, password resets, uh, stops automated attacks and make sure that it's not being scripted by bots. Um, and it's usually something like uh, with Google ReCAPTCHA, uh, it's a tick the box, yes, I'm human. Uh, if it doesn't think you are, it gives you a load of pictures. I hate um, that, by the way. This attack was... I hate that. Please click <laughs> yeah, all the pictures, those, those pictures that show are the worst thing. crosswalks. Crosswalk. Do you mean Forever. all the pictures that show yeah. a crosswalk or all the pictures that show parts of a crosswalk? You need to be specific. I am a human. Yeah. I need context to understand. That's how it should know I'm a human. Anyway, they, they are carry te- on. I'll finish they are te- So Google have recapture. Uh, which is the name of their software. And this was first found in ReCapture. This research just shows that it still exists. But basically what happens is if you're visually impaired, you can't see. Uh, So you can hit the audio describe button where it will read things out to you. What this researcher did uh, is it took, uh, it went to the website, clicked the I'm impaired, I need the audio version, sent the audio clip to Google's text uh, audio to text service, and then replayed (laughs) the text back into the capturing using Google's Uh, audio to text to bypass its own capture. It is brilliant. Um, I said it's not new, but... It was reported back in Recapture Two. It still exists in Recapture Three, so it is still it is a viable method. Couldn't this be automated at scale for like brute forcing stuff? Surely this is this is a hacker's would. Surely it's a hacker's could if they really wanted to. You'll find like bug bounty bug bounty programs will probably use this. Uh, hackers will unlikely use this. I mean, it's going to be noisy. It's going to be easy to define. Like you're still sending tens of thousands of requests to the web server you've just found an easy way of doing it without me doing mm. it manually so it's still a really noisy attack and and with and with basically a talking computer <laughs> which is like star trek so that's what's so great about it is that it is like it, the acronym actually becomes really important because the test is supposed to prove that it's it can tell computers and humans apart and the fact that you're using a computer to break it is just brilliant <laughs> it is and that's why i love it it's uh it's a fun piece of research yes you could absolutely use it to bypass capture but the gains of doing that are fairly small uh because the noise that you'd be generating alongside that anyway um like if you're mm. targeting something high profile they're going to see that large spike and at the opening of that YouTube rabbit hole, we must bring things to an end. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please do subscribe, rate and comment wherever you get your audio content. And if you want to know more about Immersive Labs, you can find us at ImmersiveLabs.com or follow us on Twitter at Immersive Labs. Until next time, from all of us, goodbye. 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 <laughs>